the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's 10 o'clock on AM 1420. The answer. Good Wednesday to you. It is the 20th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Really great conversations with Chris Long and um, uh, with uh, Melissa Atkinson in hour number one. And I have another great conversation scheduled right now with our friend Ryan Morrow. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to sync our schedules together to talk about national security as it pertains to the, the ongoing threats of radical Islamic extremism. Uh, so I'm good to, uh, glad to have Ryan back. Ryan, of course, <clears throat> is the uh, chairman of the Clarion Intelligence Network. He is also uh, the um, uh, national security analyst for the Clarion Project online at clarionproject.org. And, Ryan, it's good to have you back here in Cleveland. How are you? Good, sir. Hey, I'm doing well. It's great to be talking with you again. Ryan, I've got three stories that I want to discuss with you, uh, and they are all tied directly into our backyards here uh, in the United States. Oftentimes we talk about things going on in the Middle East and policy and so on and so forth, but uh, I want to talk about what's going on right here. And specifically, let's talk about Hoda Mathana, an American woman who decided a few years ago that she wanted to go and leave the United States and plot to kill innocent people, perhaps in the United States, by becoming an ISIS wife. She fled to uh, uh, the Middle East. She took on at least three uh, husbands, I think it is, uh, if, if, I'm not, if I'm expressing that incorrectly. But I, from what I understand, she's been... Uh, uh, she has been uh, uh, the, the, the wife or, or whatever, whatever, however you want to describe this, of three different individuals. She has children, and somehow now that ISIS is being decimated, she has decided, didn't want to do that, sorry, my bad, didn't really, uh, didn't really mean to come over here and plot against innocent people and join a terror group. I want to come back to the United States. And there are some advocates saying that she deserves the right to do that. Can you shed a little bit of light on this story? Right. So this is a part of a, of an actually a pretty interesting debate saying, well, she's an American citizen, um, or is she an enemy combatant? Going back to that same old argument, um, and if she's an American citizen, then she is supposed to be allowed to come home and then be, uh, theoretically, I think she'd have to be prosecuted. I don't see how there'd be any legal way around that. Um, and, and, Basically, she has that right. And then there are others, uh, who's, uh, particularly myself, who had an initial reaction of, are you kidding me? There's no way, no way uh, that, that, I, that I want this to happen, um, especially because she was online urging uh, people to carry out attacks. So she wasn't just there as a, as a naive little girl, as she states. She was actually there and, as you said, went through three husbands, um, is currently married uh, either to the third or fourth uh, in Syria, who none of the news outlets, as far as I could see, gave us much information about. Um, but then, on the other hand, I watched the videos, and, and there is that, particularly that Christian part of me, that said she she seemed genuine in, in saying, look, I obviously made a big mistake here, and the interviewer said to her, well, what, is, what do you recommend? I mean, you got to go to jail, right? And she basically said... Yeah, I would hope for some therapy in there, uh, you know, a, a program to 
keep people, you know, including herself, away from the ideology. Um, and she said, I definitely need, you know, mental help, uh, which was a surprising admission on, on her part, just the way she said it. Uh, but then there are times where she's like, life has been so bad here that we, you know, we literally ate glass. I, I don't believe she literally ate glass. So... She'd be dead if she did. She'd be dead if she did. You can't, you can't swallow glass. You cannot digest glass. And if you end up moving it through your body, it's going to tear you, uh, you know, into a bloody mess, uh, uh, processing through there. So, so you're right. And my point to, what I want to say here, Ryan, or ask you about is, you know, you, you said your original reaction was, no way are you kidding me? Not a chance. But now you said your Christian side of you took over and said, well, maybe she's sincere and maybe, you know, forgiveness is in order. And you know what, my friend? God, God bless you, and I mean that with all sincerity. <laughs> I don't Thank have you. that kind of Christianity in me. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a flawed guy, uh, and I apologize to Jesus, but I don't have that ability, at least at this point in time. And when you said she seemed sincere, I, first thing I thought of, Ryan, in my head was taqiyah, right? Isn't that how it's pronounced? Taqiyah, which is a Muslim's uh, obligation to use dishonesty to lie in order to advance their cause. And so she can lie about, oh, I didn't really mean all of this. I don't believe in all of that. And, uh, you know, please forgive me. I want to I want to live a, an honest, um, uh, you know, free life uh, without hurting other people. I, I don't buy one second of it. I just, Ryan, and maybe, maybe I'm being cynical. Maybe it's just, like I said, the sinner in me that says, sorry, no forgiveness here. I don't believe you well she's still lying with the glass thing you know there you go that's exactly the point right that's a great example that's why it became a little bit like an internal spiritual moral debate for me as i watch more and more uh videos of her especially because i thought if she does successfully turn against radical islam uh, there is an asset there for us um but then on the other hand there's no proof that she will she even said herself uh, sometimes people go into the prison system and they come out more messed up as a person. So then there was a bit of honesty there. So it, so it, 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 she's a complex person. Um, I, if she came here, I would definitely want her in jail, monitored, um, uh, kept away from the other prison population because who knows what they, they would want to do to her. Um, and I think that's the position I'm most comfortable with, but also at the same time, um, Maybe there's some other place in the Middle East should be a better fit uh, that does yeah. not have, uh, honestly, democratic human rights where uh, there, there's just less freedom. I mean, she I mean, chose to surrender freedom, freedom. in a yeah, free she society cho- to innocent people when, mm-hmm. when there are extremists. And so a country like Saudi Arabia might, I don't know, some of these other nearby countries might be a be- better fit. Um, but I'm not comfortable with her being in Syria for the sake of the kid and the sake of who else she might be linking up with because we don't even know how de-radicalized she might be. She, she may hate ISIS, but still like Al-Qaeda. Exactly. That, that's the, very well said. That's kind of the point that I'm, 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 I'm getting to here. Um, you know, it may not be ISIS, but she, she chose to leave the freedom of the United States, where she was born and raised, at least until, what, seventh grade? Or no, I'm sorry, uh, at seventh grade she it's moved 15, to Alabama. I think. Yeah, yeah. Left. Yeah, so she was, uh, what, middle of her sophomore year in high school, roughly. But, but she left the, the, the most free nation in the world, the place where women have more rights, which are equal rights to men, uh, more so than anywhere else in the world, to go to a place where women are subjugated. She, she chose to subjugate herself to, to that lifestyle. And quite frankly, Ryan, my, my, I guess my, where I come down on it is, um, if I'm in doubt, keep her out. 
Unless I'm certain, you know, not just kind of leaning with my, you know, with my forgiving side that that she really regretted this and she wants to come here and be a normal American again. If if I have a doubt, keep her out. I I don't know what she is. I don't know how serious she is. I don't know how sincere she is. So to me, given what she did, and as you said, she online she called for other people to uh, to carry out attacks and to become radicalized and so on and so forth. To me, you don't bring in another potential terrorist if they are a potential terrorist or terrorist sympathizer. Just if, when in doubt, keep her out. That's the way. I, that's the way yeah, she, she said something else that was interesting. Is that she blamed her <laughs> parents because they didn't allow enough Americanization into into her lifestyle. Uh, Apparently, she said that because the the religious restrictions within the family were so tight that when she wanted to like kind of venture out and become more American, there was resistance to that, and there wasn't much media coverage of that. Uh, but that was interesting. An interesting insight. She said, so because they're so strict, when she started dabbling in American culture, there was kind of this pushback, and that actually led her to, as she was developing her identity, uh, getting into religious extremism. Speaking of religious extremism and Islamic extremism and uh, and Palestinian extremism and anti-Israeli extremism and anti-Semitic extremism, you know I'm speaking of Ilan Omar, the new uh, 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 Democratic freshman representative from the state of Minnesota. That's the second story, Ryan, that I want to talk about with you. Um, her district in Minnesota has been described as the terror capital uh, of the... Um, uh, of the United States, the fifth congressional district that she is representing now, and we know that all she has done since she got into Congress is, like I said, express anti-Semitism, express anti-anti-Americanism, um, uh, uh, um, anti-Israel, and so on and so forth. And she has you know, essentially started a firestorm here. What can you tell us about? where she comes from, and what the likelihood is that there are other districts just like this one that are going to lead to more of her getting into positions of political power. Right. What's, what's so amazing to me about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar is that, uh, first of all, she might win Minnesota for Trump, in all seriousness, because think about how close he came to beating Hillary there, and everyone was shocked. Uh, with the attention that she's bringing, the way she's representing the Democratic Party, I think... I think she gives Trump an edge there in 2020 uh, with all this outrageous conduct so early into her tenure. Um, I think it's likely eventually she'll be forced to resign. I, I think that this is type of extremism is too ingrained in her um, to prevent further lashing out on Twitter or whatever. Um, but she, a new report came out pointing out that not just Minnesota, but specifically her district, is statistically the area where the highest number of ISIS recruits comes from. And so the point I made is not that that means she's ISIS. Some people are going to, are going to take that and go that far. Is that there is such a thing as upstream extremism. Just, sort, just like how in our democracy, our representatives are supposed to represent the local population, any extremist sentiment by a local population has the potential to swim upstream and enter the political system. And it doesn't even have to be by design. And that seems to be what has happened here with this Somali congresswoman, um, a refugee, who, upon coming into the United States, instead of celebrating, and you can see videos of people celebrating their citizenship, having parties on the day they become a citizen uh, online, instead she starts bashing and saying how she was so disappointed and just starts bashing the United States. I find it very, very offensive. Um, but this just shows the, the threat of 
really upstream extremism where it doesn't have to be necessarily a conspiracy to get someone like the Muslim, uh, connected to the Muslim Brotherhood in. You just have a population that is vocal, involved, and tolerant of these themes, and you will see a congressman or congresswoman recite that. Remember, all human beings in every interaction are somewhat guarded. Now, once you're a politician, you're a thousand times more guarded. So whatever is said publicly, that's the most tame version of that individual. That is exactly correct. That is very astute too. That because if that's what she's willing to say to the to, to the cameras or on the floor of Congress, for goodness sakes, uh, yeah, you can only imagine what she says behind closed doors and what she is plotting. And I, I'll use that word. I don't care how nefarious it sounds. Uh, plotting behind closed doors. It's a great point, Ryan. I've got one more story I want to talk to you about. The President of the United States shocking. A lot of people with a move that he made yesterday, and I want to get your thoughts on that as we continue. Ryan Morrow from the Clarion Project, right back after this on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1025, now we continue for just a few more minutes with Ryan Morrow, chairman of the Clarion Intelligence Network, as well as the National Security Advisor and Shulman Fellow uh, for the uh, Clarion Project, online at uh, clarionproject.org. Follow Ryan at Ryan Morrow. It's M-A-U-R-O. All right, Ryan, um, we found out yesterday in an announcement from the White House that the Trump administration is uh, leading the international community in trying to decriminalize homosexuality around the world. And it might sound like, what are you talking about? It's criminal? Yeah, in a lot of Middle Eastern slash Muslim-dominated nations, uh, being gay is a crime. You can go to jail for it. Or if you're in Iran, for example, uh, enjoying $150 billion of American money, you can throw gay people off the roof. You can hang them. You can publicly execute them simply for their, uh, even if they're not gay, I think just the allegation of being gay. So the Trump administration, which we are told is anti-LGBTQ, is anti-homosexuality, filled with homophobes, is doing a very interesting thing here. Your take. Yeah, I love this idea. Uh, basically, uh, according to the reports that are out there, uh, the plan is to take on 71 countries that penalize people just for being gay, and eight of them uh, will actually execute you for that. Iran is going to take center stage, so I think this idea was primarily uh, as a means of isolating Iran diplomatically to build European support for sanctions on Iran, which is, uh, this is a smart way to do it. Uh, This type of argument works better for progressives in America, and especially in Europe, um, in building support against Iran than, than the issues of sponsorship of terrorism and nuclear weapons and things like that. The human rights angle is just something that you can't really have a debate over. Um, and so it's going to be pointed out that 8,000 suspected gay people have been executed since the theocratic regime came to power in Iran. The real number is definitely much, much, much higher uh, because it does. there's no accounting for this officially or credibly. It doesn't include the times that just suspected gays have been killed in honor killings, have been beaten, harassed, you know, gone through all sorts of hell. Um, but uh, the drawback on it, and I support this campaign, but just being an honest analyst, is that they're, they're, the fact is there is widespread hatred of gays in the Muslim world and in countries like Russia. And our adversaries find it politically useful to bash gays and to characterize the United States as the spreader of homosexuality. So in terms of the ideological war, uh, the short over the short term, it, 
it, frankly, probably hurts us. But over the long term, it must be done, because not just because it's right, but because it will kick off, if we put enough energy into it, uh, a broader debate that then will link up with other issues like women's rights and start a conversation in these countries that has to happen um, in order for these tyrannical governments to stop spreading hatred, ultimately over be overthrown, and advance American interests. And non-interventionists will be crying all the way. It'll, I understand that. It'll be tough for Trump to say we don't inter, inter, interfere with the internal affairs of other countries while doing this if it actually goes forward. Um, but it's the right thing to do, and it should be part of our strategy. When you say um, the, the one problem with this might be that, you know, we have to acknowledge that you know, a lot of Muslim-dominated countries are very radically uh, anti-gay, and they blame us. What, what, what is the problem with that? They're always going to blame us for something anyway, or do you, do you mean it's going to increase tensions between our countries if we, you know, if we do, um, you know, advance this international accord uh, to decriminalize? Well, what would have, what could potentially happen is, and I'm thinking of even countries like Russia, often countries in, in Africa, is that partners who may be less radical, shall we say, um, who, who we can engage, they're all, everyone's going to have the same line when it comes to this issue, which is that America is in, in, intervening in our internal affairs, they're spreading sin, and really that's one of the central Islamist and globally anti-American arguments, is that the spreading of American influence and our ideas it can be equated with vile sin that will corrupt your family and your society, and gays get blamed for everything. So it, it, it does help kind of reinforce that anti-American narrative, uh, which we'll have to be prepared to to really fight that. Um, I would hate if we took up this issue and then did not adequately defend it in local TV stations and really started a conversation, because it seems like we are lacking in that area of defending ourselves against anti-American propaganda. We usually just deny it in a press statement, and then that's kind of it. We have to actually argue, especially when it comes to an issue like this. That's a great point, uh, Ryan, and, and, and well well argued. That's uh, that's what I was looking for, just to see exactly what kind of pushback we might get, and what kind of uh, in what ways it might manifest itself with us, with our relationship with some of our allies and some of our enemies. So that's uh, it'll be a really interesting. And by the way, we should point out that uh, the the movement here is being advanced by Richard Grinnell, who of course is a high ranking. Trump administration official who is openly gay. He's the ambassador to Germany, and he's the one pushing this. So the idea, and and I just think it's insane, Ryan, that that the the Trump administration and Trump supporters continue to be attacked as homophobic and so on and so forth. He's the highest ranking openly gay official uh, in uh, in the Trump administration, and it may he may be the highest ranking openly gay official in any administration in recent memory. Yeah, and it, the rumor going around is that he's going to be the ambassador to the U.N., that he's Trump's favorite for that. Which he should great. be. He should yeah. be now that Heather Noward has uh, backed out because her family couldn't take the, uh, you know, the pressure and everything that goes along with trying to work for President Trump. And by the way, that is simply terrible, terrible, uh, what she yeah. and her family have gone through. But yeah, he should be. He's looking for, uh, you know, a new nominee now, and it ought to be Richard Grinnell because he is wonderful, uh, in terms of his international experience and, uh, uh, you know, in his advancement of the, of the, uh, uh, the American agenda on the world stage. I think he'd be brilliant. And yes, he's openly gay. He is one of presidents, uh, uh, the president's most trusted um, uh, members of his administration. So the idea that there's some massive homophobia is, again, just more of the fake news, I suppose. You don't have to answer that, Ryan. But Ryan Morrow, follow him uh, online at Ryan Morrow, M-A-U-R-O, on Twitter and on Facebook. And, Ryan, thanks so much for your time, as always. Thank you.
You got it. Ryan Morrow joining us. Let's get news now. Your calls the rest of the way. We're guest-free now until 11 o'clock on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty-eight now. The Bob France Authority continuing on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thanks so much for being a part of the program today. We are guest free the rest of the way. So if you want to get on get in line, do so now at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five or eight 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 two eight one eleven ten, and we'll put you up and on the air. One of the big stories we discussed earlier on with uh, Chris Long, pastor and president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. The lawyers for the family of sixteen-year-old Nicholas Sandman have filed a two hundred fifty million dollar lawsuit against the Washington Post, accused the paper of smearing the white Covington Catholic Jr. after cell phone video showed him staring down Native American activist Nathan Phillips in an altercation at a pro-life rally in D.C. last month. See, I gotta stop this right there because even Fox News doesn't report these things right. Jeff Manasso? The, the implication that Nick Sandman was staring down Nick uh, or um, Nathan Phillips indicates that he was doing something to be the aggressor, trying to initiate a confrontation, staring him down. The kid stood there with his class as Nathan Phillips meandered his way through a crowd and went directly up to him. All the kid do was stand there smiling. Not not sure if this guy was trying to beat the drum in order to drown out the vile, disgusting comments being made by the black Hebrew Israelites, or if he was trying to encourage them to join in and clap to the drum, he he had no idea. But the way that the media reports this, including Fox News in this particular case, (laughs) he was staring down Nathan Phil. No, he wasn't. That is just a mischaracterization that makes it look and sound like he was the aggressor. And this is why the lawsuit is being filed against sloppy media or intentionally negative media, intentionally demeaning and threatening media, uh, slandering media, libeling media, libelous media, defaming media. This is why the lawsuit's been filed in the first place. His lawyer alleges the boy was an acceptable casualty in the Washington Post's war against the president. The Post vows a rigorous defense in what's the first of likely dozens more lawsuits to come. Yeah, well, there's no question about it. The attorneys for the Covington uh, uh, kids and for Sandman in particular have said this is the first lawsuit. There are other media companies who are also going to be on the hook. Let's go to the phones. TJ, you're in Cleveland. Go right ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, this woman that turned her back on America and joined the enemy, well, you know, after her buds got their hiney kicked by Trump, now she wants to come back to the winning side. And this reminds me of another young bimbo who did the same thing and went and fraternized with the enemy, Jane Fonda. And when she come home, instead of being charged and incarcerated, she was praised and awarded with a movie career. And that commie-loving bimbo now has haunted us for, for decades. Now, can you imagine back after the Revolutionary War, after we kicked the the British's Heine, if, uh, what's his name? I, I, I lose his name now. The, the traitor. Benedict Arnold? Back to, yeah, right, right. Benedict Arnold. Wanted to come back to America. How would Americans have responded back then? I don't think the same way they would have now. This woman should not be allowed to come back here. She made her choice. Let her stay where she's at. 
The only way I would see, TJ, thanks for the call. The only way I would see letting her, her, her come back would be in a way that she doesn't want to come back, and that is as a prisoner. Not to serve a sentence to punish her for her transgressions, but I mean a prisoner forever. The only way you come back as somebody who left the United States to go join a foreign terrorist organization, one that you didn't just service as a, a bride to three different men, having a child, potentially raising him to be a terrorist as well, the only way you come back is at the Colorado Supermax. That's it. 23-hour lockdown. You get an hour a day to go eat and shower and stand in the yard by yourself with no one else. You want to come back to that? Okay, we'll bring you back. I would still say we got to confiscate some ISIS property in order to um, sell off and pay the bills because I don't want to absorb the tax cost of harboring her or incarcerating her. But in all seriousness, you know, ask her, here's your choice. You can live in one of these foreign countries that you chose to go to, one in which women are subjugated and not given rights, one in which uh, you can fraternize with all of the would-be terrorists in the world that you want, or you can come back to the United States and live in one of our supermaxes, or the only supermax we really have in Colorado for the rest of your life. That's about the only way. If she thinks she's going to come back to the U.S., we're going to give her a place to live, give her an apartment, a place to raise her could-be soon-to-be terrorist kid? No. You want to bring her back, you bring her back, you put her in the prison, you take the kid from her, and you place the kid with a non-terrorist family to raise the kid up with American values, and that's the only way it happens. James is calling us from Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, James, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, I got a question. You were talking about that kid dancing in the bar. Isn't there federal labor law, child labor laws they could use to shut that place down? Um, probably not because he's not being, you know, he's, he's not doing labor for the bar. He's there as a volunteer, or at least his parents are volunteering him to go and make money. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's, um, he's working for tips. So I don't think they, I don't think he's a, as an, you know, I think the only way child labor laws would apply here is if he would be an employee of the establishment, but he's working for tips, uh, with the approval of his mother, which is why I guess they're saying it's okay. Yeah, but like you said, they got him working late at night, and then you figured they could go after him for that, or at least something. There's got to be. Something yeah, that's that's what we said. That that's what Melissa said. You know, look, you know, we're talking about after hours here, after bar hours have closed. You know, so after you know the bar closes at two o'clock or two thirty, or you know, maybe during the week it's it's twelve or twelve thirty or whatever. Hello. Spread legged, you know. Th- say again. I said, Baba Booey to y'all. Baba Booey. Yeah, thanks for the phone call. Um, it's uh, That was the dumbest thing I think anybody has ever done. Um, at any rate, the point, since some people did not hear the conversation earlier with Melissa Atkinson, the point is that, yes, the child is being exploited, but not by the bar, so child labor laws would not work. Um But but to me, the mother, and, and again, uh, Melissa kind of uh, quoted or sent me the... Um, Send me the Ohio Revised Code that is that is uh, of importance here, and there is a section in the ORC section two nine one nine dot two two about endangering children, and it does say 
No person shall do any of the following to a child under 18 years of age or a mentally or physically handicapped child under 21 years of age. Uh, Entice, coerce, permit, encourage, compel, hire, employ, use, or allow the child to act, model, model, or in any other way participate in, be photographed for, and he was being videotaped. The production, presentation, dissemination, or advertisement of any material or performance that the offender knows or reasonably should know is obscene or sexually oriented matter or is nudity-oriented matter. Now, he's not nude, but one could very easily argue that it's sexually-oriented material and that it is obscene material. And the child is being coerced, enticed, encouraged, or compelled to do so by his mother. And I would also go back to this. Now, this is, again, just an opinion from me. But the part of the Ohio Revised Code that says you cannot... Do this to a mentally or physically handicapped child. I would suggest that a young boy at the age of nine who thinks he's a girl has a mental impairment, a psychological condition, one that should be dealt with, one that should be, uh, one that should be explored by therapists rather than encouraged in the way that they are. Because quite frankly, we are seeing far Far too much of that kind of stuff going on, not just in the United States, but in Canada, in the UK, and other places. I just saw a story about three, four days ago. I didn't bring it up on the air because I didn't really necessarily want to get my dander up over this thing. But um, two females who think they're males, who dress like males, uh, and that's where we'll where we'll leave it. Raising their five-year-old as a non-gendered person saying that the five-year-old isn't a boy and isn't a girl, leading this kid to a lifetime of psychological, psychological trauma and, yes, a lot of bullying, these kinds of things, these kids are being exploited because that's what their parents want them to do, not what they want to do and who they want to be. It's a very, very um, widespread issue where parents are taking their own psychological problems, and, yes, if you are a male, if you are a biological male with male chromosomes and with male genitalia and so on and so forth, and you think that you should be wearing dresses because you think you're a woman, you clearly have not a physical impairment, you have a mental impairment, and they're trying to then force their own mental problems, their psychological issues on their children. And I think that's an example of what's happening right here. It's happening in Ohio. It's happening in Ohio bars. It's really devast- It's really a devastating thing when you think about it. Uh, Pete is in North Royalton. Hey, Pete, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Hello, Bob. Yes, sir. Uh, Bob, you, you remember, we all remember uh, uh, Sergeant Bergdahl from California who, who, of course. who went, to the other, he went to the other side and President Obama pardoned him? Yes. This lady... Was she an American citizen? Is she an American citizen? Yeah, she was born. She was born in New Jersey, raised in New York, and then eventually oh, in okay. in seventh oh, okay. grade, I think she went to, to Alabama. She grew up in Alabama for crying out loud, part of her life. Okay, Bob. Well, we have to do what the English did, and in English, you surprised me. God bless them for it. They pulled the American her their her Americans because there was a woman that did the same thing, and they pulled her American her her British citizenship, and they would not let her back in the country. We should do the same thing. And as far as Bergdahl, he should. He should, he should have had his citizenship taken as well. He should be in jail. You're a traitor, Bob. Not you. I mean, they Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, tra- they're traitors, Bob. And as far as your, co- your caller before the, 
called that made a whatever he, I couldn't understand what he said. But the gentleman who called and re, brought up uh, Benedict Arnold, those people were Tories. Their properties was their properties were seized and they were thrown to England. They they, they were they were they were thrown back to England. They weren't allowed to stay in the United States. We should have the same law for these people. If you don't love this country, get out. Pete, I cannot agree with you more, my friend. Bo Bergdahl was a traitor and should have been charged with treason. He should have been treated that way. He should have been punished that way. This woman, the same thing. She literally left the United States to go give aid and comfort to our enemies. ISIS. ISIS fighters, terrorists who kill innocent people, innocent Americans who inspire other people to kill in the United States. She went and gave aid and comfort to the enemy. She should have been charged with treason. If she is brought back, like I said, charge her with treason, convict her and throw her for the rest of her natural life into the Supermax prison in Colorado and tell her, welcome back to the United States. Good to have you home. We're right back after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten fifty-five. Final segment on AM fourteen twenty. The answer is uh, going to be a bit of a short one, uh, and I just want to hit uh, a couple more times the. Um, Incredible importance of this lawsuit. I started the show with this, and I figured it's a good time to end the show, or a good thing to end the show with this. The lawsuit that has been filed for $250 million uh, by the family of Nick Sandman uh, against the Washington Post. The family uh, is claiming, by way of the lawsuit, that the Washington Post wrongfully targeted and bullied Nicholas Sandman because he was the white Catholic student wearing a red Make America Great Again souvenir cap on a school field trip to the January 18th March for Life in Washington, D.C. They did exactly that. The black Hebrew Israelites targeted the white kids with the red hats. Nathan Phillips, the stolen valor, phony Vietnam vet, who brought brought his drum and banged it in the face of Nicholas Sandman, targeted him because of his red cap. And yes, the Washington Post, then, despite knowing full well because of the countless numbers of camera angles that show that Nick Sandman and his friends did not, quote, corner Nathan Phillips outside the Lincoln Memorial that day, They didn't corner him, intimidate him, yell phrases like build the wall at him. None of that happened. The Washington Post had the same videos the rest of the world had, and yet they still perpetuated the myth that the Covington kids were the aggressors, that the Covington kids were the kids, were the ones responsible for the confrontation. The Washington Post needs to be held accountable. If you remember nothing else from today's show, remember what I said at the beginning, which I'll repeat now. We can't just sit here complaining that the media is the enemy of the people the way the president does. The president can't just sit there and say the the mainstream media and the lying media, the deceitful media, the fake news media is the enemy of the people, and then just go on about our day. We can't whine and cry about terrible coverage, biased coverage, dangerous coverage, threatening coverage, and then just go on about and let them continue to do it. Somebody needs to stand up to them. Somebody needs to take a great big giant bite out of them. And this is what has to happen. I am encouraged, not that we can really do much here from where we sit in Northeast Ohio, 
But I want to encourage that family just to the south of us, just down across the state line in in Kentucky, Covington, Kentucky. It's not too terribly far away from here, to be honest with you, to encourage them to go full force, hold the media accountable. If nothing else comes out of this, let's make the Washington Post several, you know, maybe, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars uh, uh, less valuable. Take that money away from them in a settlement which will then demand that they change their behavior, that they change their, their, their journalistic nature. They actually, they're an affront to journalism when they change their, their commentary nature and return to journalism. Because all they're doing is commenting and trying to advance agendas. An anti-Trump agenda, an anti-conservative agenda, they've been doing it for decades. It's only gotten worse in the age of Trump. The only way they're going to change their behavior is if they are hit in the pocketbook. And when you're done with the Washington Post, then go to NBC, attorneys for Nick Sandman. When you're done with NBC, then take it to the New York Times. When you're done with the New York Times, you understand the point. Just keep going. Teach them a lesson. It's the only way the president, and by extension, you and I, are ever going to get a fair shake. So I wish them all of the luck in the world on that. That's all the time that I've got for you today, but stay where you are, because the good news is Mike Gallagher is coming up next. Stay right here on AM 1420, The Answer for that, and we'll see you on Thursday for the next Bob France Authority. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.